We are continuing in the book of two, uh, 1 Kings and we are working our way through Elijah. Is it up? I don't have it there. Thanks. That would be helpful. Otherwise I'll be turning around all the time. I have with me this morning, because we have families in church, the pastors, we've spoken about this several times, and what we're going to try and do is to be a little bit more family-friendly in the school holidays. So there are three weeks in the school holidays. For the next three Sundays, we're going to try and... So I've brought some objects with me this morning. What do you think that is? Oil. What sort of oil? <laughs> Cooking oil. It is actually olive oil. You can cook with olive oil, can't you? Oh, what's this? Yeah, but what sort of flower? Wrong. Would she have had self-raising flour? What flour would she have had? Unleavened. Is this unleavened flour? No, self-raising. That's about the size that she would have had, just a little bit. Just enough to make a... We had pancakes for breakfast this morning. Well, Rhonda cooked them. And uh, so she had enough to make... My guess, one pizza base, about that size. It's flatbread. When she talks about making bread, she's not talking about a loaf of bread that you buy in a plastic wrapper in a supermarket. She's talking about flatbread. It's like a pancake, okay? So think like that. So before we jump in, I better pray for myself because when I was doing this this morning, I had my little grandson, Franklin, hi Franklin, um, sitting on my lap mesmerised by all the things that I was doing. And what I normally do on a Sunday morning is connect the slides to my notes so I have blue colours for when I have to change slides. And because Franklin was sitting on my nap, I was underlining things in blue. So I could be changing slides when I shouldn't be and it may be in the wrong order. And anyway, I, all of that just to say it's not my fault. <laughs> it's the grandchild you gave to be with me, Lord, that did this. Let's pray. Father, again, I want to pray that you will guide me. May the words that come out of my mouth be used by you to achieve your purposes. Thank you that we can be together as a family. Thank you, Lord, that we have children with us in our service today and over the next couple of Sundays. It's an opportunity. Help us as a church to embrace it and to grow into it, to improve in doing it. Yeah. Lord, thanks for each other and that we can be together. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Elijah and the widow. Here is a summary from last week. Well, up till date. Elijah was firstly in the palace where he delivered the message to Ahab. It's not going to be any rain for the next few years, except at my word. Then it was last week, it was Elijah by the brook. And we guesstimate, and it's not a bad guess, I guess, that he was there for about a year. It's quite a while. And then the brook dries up. And that's the beginning of this story. And the Lord directs him to a place called Zarephath, or Zarephath, however you want to pronounce it. So here we go. Sometime later, so he's still at the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up. And it wouldn't have dried up instantly. It would have been over a process of time. And he's watching it dry. We spoke about this last week. And I thought that, that would have been perhaps anxious inducing for him he would have been worried about it but I had somebody come to me after the service last Sunday and they said actually he might have been quite excited about it because with the brook drying up it would mean what it's time to move 
and a change of scenery. So perhaps it was met not with anxiety, but rather with anticipation and joy. We're not told any of that. It's just our assumptions and assuming what he may have done. It's when the brook dries up that then the word of the Lord came to him. And last time we spoke about how God's timing, to us it appears that he's almost always late, but it's always just on time, just when you need it. That's when God moves. That's when God arranges circumstances. Uh, God works in all the little things of life, even putting grandkids on your laps during sermon preparation. And this is what the Lord says to him. Get up, go to Zarephath, that belongs to Sidon, that's the region, and that's where Queen Jezebel, the bad queen, is from. And God says, and stay there. And then God promises him, look, I have commanded a woman there who is a widow to provide for you there. Boys and girls, what's a widow? When a man and a woman get married, what is the woman called? Wife. What's the man called? Husband. When the husband dies, what's the wife called? Widow. So a widow is a woman whose husband has passed away, has died. Now for the really intelligent people in the room, what happens when the wife dies? What's the man called? Sorry? Widower. Yeah. Just sounded funny the way you were saying it. Widower. Uh. God comes to Elijah and says to him, get up, I can do that. Though with age, it's, it's a prayer point. Go to Zarephath. Now when he heard that, Zarephath, where, from where he was, he's by the brook on the other side of the Jordan, um, east of Israel, and Zarephath is north of Israel. So he's got to travel about 120 130 kilometres. But he's got to go through the land of Israel where he's a wanted man by King Ahab. He's leaving his hiding place and he's got to trust God to help him travel through this land to Zarephath, which is in Sidon, which is a region to the north. And it's a very bad place. It's an ungodly place. That's where Baal worship came from. That's where Jezebel is from. God is sending his prophet, Elijah, to that place. I wonder why. Well, certainly it was a good protection. Jezebel would never think of looking for Elijah in, in Zarephath, in her home territory. Maybe it was that. But there's another reason, and it's in this story. God sent Elijah to Zarephath because there was a woman there who was interested in God. And God tells his servant Elijah to go there. In fact, the Lord Jesus refers to this story and he says there were many other widows in Israel, but also in Sidon. But God sent Elijah to her because something was happening for her and we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. And the interesting thing is that God says to him, and stay there. That would be like God saying to us, I want you to leave here, get up, go, and I want you to go into Brisbane and I want you to stay in the red light district. I want you to stay in the, you know, where they sell drugs or whatever, where there's lots of crimes, into a bad area, and I want you to stay there. In one sense, it's great that I'm moving, but it's not great where I'm going. 
And it's also difficult because he's got to go on at least a five-day journey in a drought so he doesn't have any what? Doesn't have any water. He hasn't got water bottles like we've got. And it's a drought. The drought's been going for about, by my guesstimation, 18 months. Which is why when he gets there, he says to her, can I have a cup of water, please? So God sustains him. It's remarkable and difficult for him. So sometime later, the book dries up. God says this to him. And we're not told how, but God says to Elijah to encourage him, I've commanded a woman there who is a widow to provide for you. We're not told how God commanded her. Because when Elijah gets there, she doesn't appear to be aware of the command. So whether it was in a dream or whether it was a prompting or whatever, but God was certainly going to go before Elijah and help him. So leave here, change of scenery. Go west and stay there. I have provided a place for you and someone who will provide for you. The remarkable thing is this. This is one of the lessons. What Elijah did is what we need to do. Elijah obeyed swiftly. So he went to Zarephath. We're not told anything about the journey or the difficulties of it or the dangers of it or how God protected him. We skip over that because the author of this book wants us to get to the point, which is about God is at work in this lady's life as well as in our lives. And he wants us to observe it. When he came to the town gate, so Zarephath is a very small town between Tyre and Sidon, two big cities. There's a little community here called Zarephath, right in the middle, and it's on the coast. So it's a nice little spot on the western end of the Mediterranean Sea. She owns a double-storey house, and outside there are walls around this little village, and there is a gate. And when he comes to the gate, she just happens to walk out the gate. Bit of a coincidence, isn't it? And Elijah says to her, he observes that she's a widow. How would he recognise her as a widow? Well, because in those days, just like in ours, when a loved one dies, when a husband dies, then the wife will often wear black. It used to be formerly that she would wear black for a period of time. We don't tend to do that as much in our day and age or in our society. But in their society, she would not only wear black for a period of time, but then she would also wear some distinctive clothes that would mark her as a widow. So just by looking at her and knowing the clothes she was wearing, you would know she's a widow. So here comes this lady through the gates um, and he sees her and she's doing something. She's bending down and she's picking up sticks. Now around the city wall and around the gates, there aren't a lot of sticks, there aren't a lot of trees. They're being cleared. But here is this, my guess is she's in her 20s. So don't think of an elderly lady, think of a young mum. Lost her husband early in life and she's got a young son who's too young to work. So he's a boy of six, seven, eight, something like that. Um, and we'll hear more about him next week and something that happens to him. Here is this young mum who for the past week has watched her flower jar go down. And now on this day she has just a little bit of flour left. Enough to make one more piece of bread. And she has just enough oil, not milk and butter, oil. Both the liquid and the fat is in the oil content. So she would mix that together and she would flatten it out and she'd cook it over a, a, a griddle type thing, a pan. That's why she needs the sticks to light a fire, to heat it up, so then she's going to cook this beautiful pizza-based bread. I'm not told anything she's going to put on, it's just the bread. She's going to eat that. 
And we learn that she's got a son and he's going to have some and that's it. They have nothing left. So she's watched her supplies go down. I wonder if during that week she prays, God, if you're there, God, if you're real, if you can hear me, could you help me? And God hears. If she prayed that prayer, God certainly heard it because he sent his prophet from the brook Cherith all the way to Zarephath to minister to her. So she's going outdoors and she's gathering up these sticks and this guy, a stranger, a foreigner, covered in dust and dirt from his travels, and he says to her, could you, and he's very polite, could you please bring me a little water in a jar so I could have a drink? Well, she hasn't got a lot, but she can do that. And in their culture, particularly when a stranger asks you for assistance, you are culturally bound to assist. And that's what she's doing. And he's sort of, I must, I guess he's sort of wondering, is this the one? Is that the widow that God is going to provide for me? So I think this is Elijah giving her a little bit of a test. Will you give, could I please have a little cup of water just to have a drink? Next verse says that she was turned around and she's going off to get it. Um, And as she's going to go and get it, Elijah thinks of something else. Now, bearing in mind, he's still trying to figure out, is this the one? Or do I have to look for somebody else? So he says to her, as she's going, um, oops, as she was going to get it, he said, oh, and could you please bring me a piece of bread? Could I just have a little muffin with that, please? Or a little pikelet? Just a little bit of sustenance to come with the water. Now, that's pushing it. Because what she got, a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, enough to make one piece of bread for her and for her son. And that's it. And then she knows she and her son will starve to death. They have no one to support them. They have no ways of getting any income or resources or anything else. And Elijah says to her, and could you please bring me a little piece of bread. I wonder how she felt. Well, it was a step too far. She couldn't go there. So she pauses and she says to him, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Now that's interesting. She's in Zarephath where Baal is worshipped and she says, as surely as the Lord your God lives. One, She's heard about the true and living God, Yahweh, the Lord. Number two, she knows that he is a living God. But she's not there yet to say that he is my God. She's on the way. But she's sort of promising on an oath to him. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she says, I don't have any bread. I don't have any pikelets or muffins left over from yesterday's baking as I often would have. I don't have anything. All I've got is a handful of flour and a little bit of oil in a jug. I'm gathering these few sticks to take home to make a meal for me and my son so that we may eat it and die. Now at this point, Elijah must be becoming aware that this must be her 
And he's also aware now by her statement about the Lord. God is at work in your life. God's doing something here. So he decides to test her. God has given him a little bit more information about the situation God had sent him into. Now notice what Elijah says. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. That's said hundreds of times in the scriptures, isn't it? Don't be afraid. Go home, do as you said, which was go make the bread for you and your son. But then he says, but first, make me a small loaf, make me a pikelet, make me a little muffin thing, a small bit. Make a small piece of bread for me um, out of what you have. Bring it to me and then go make yourself and for your son. Doesn't that sound terrible? Doesn't that sound selfish? He's not being selfish. He's being obedient to what God had instructed him. He's pushing her. He's testing her faith because he's got information she hasn't got. He then says to her, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord sends the rain. You have enough flour and enough oil to do exactly what you want to do. Make a little muffin for me, then make it for your son, and then we'll see what happens. What would you do? That's a test, isn't it? It's being pushed. Do I believe this stranger and what he says God said? Or do I continue on the path of reason of what I think should happen? Did you sort of feel, oh, what have I got to lose? It's the end anyway. If it's not real, it's not real. Did she have that sort of thought? Very unlikely, but... So she went away and she did what Elijah told her. Isn't that remarkable? Here was a lady with great faith. Faith in this stranger who is talking to her about what God said. Her faith is in God. She's trusting this is true. And sure enough, so there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her son or her family. Verse 16, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Imagine this. This is like when Jesus is feeding the 5,000 with five, five buns and two bits of fish. It blows your mind. She takes the, the, the flour. She pours it out. Would somebody volunteer? I'll pour the flour out on your hands. Anybody? She pours the flour out. It's now empty. She pours the oil out. It's now empty. That's breakfast. She comes back in the evening. There's flour in it. She pours it out. She pours the oil out. It's now empty. She comes back in the morning and there's flour and oil every day for the next two years. Impossible. Yes, impossible. Except for the true and living God who can do stuff like that. You heard of a lady called Corrie Ten Boom? Corrie Ten Boom had a sister. Her name was Betsy. They were in a prison camp and Betsy got sick. 
And Corrie tells a story that she had a little brown jar of vitamins, uh, liquid oil with vitamins and minerals and stuff in it. And with whatever the disease was that Betsy had, the fevers and the sweats and things, that she would put just a drop of oil on the bread and Betsy would eat that and that would bring some relief. But then others were getting sick and they wanted it. And before long, there weren't 15, there weren't 20, there were 25 people. Little jar of oil, vitamins and minerals. She'd pour just a drop of an eye drop bloop, on the bread and they would eat. She held up the jar to try and see how much was left and she couldn't see through the dark brown glass. And she continued to do that for an extended period of time. One drop, never ran out, just kept coming. And then one day, uh, another inmate turned up and she had uh, a bag of vitamins in it, plus some bread and plus, uh, I think, a newspaper. And Corrie said, we'll use up the, brown, the brown oil in the brown jar first. And she goes to it, she turned it up and she said, not one drop came at that point. The name of the prison that she was in was called... Raven's Brook. Raven's Brook. Where was Elijah? By a brook. How was he fed? Ravens. Hasn't God got a sense of humour? The Germans called the Prisons Raven's Brook. Just like God provided for Elijah by the brook through birds, so now God is providing for a widow who is in the process of coming to believe in him, to commit her life to him. And she provides for him, her, miraculously, through the oil and the flour on a daily basis. Doesn't give 20 kilo bags of flour day by day. What does the Lord Jesus teach us to pray? Give us this day our... God expects us to have a relationship with him, which is a daily relationship, day by day by day. The Lord Jesus says... Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough evil going on in it, or even today has enough stuff going on in it. Just get through today. Leave your tomorrows with God. Commit your focus and direction to your life on him today. What do we learn about this for us? Well, several things. Number one, imagine, put yourself in Elijah's um, shoes, or sandals, he accepted God's plan even when it went against the grain. And this went against the grain. God is not only working in the heart of that widow, God is working in the heart of Elijah. Elijah had to go to a Gentile, not to a Jew. He had to go to Sidonia, to Zarephath, live in the heart of Jezebel's territory. And he had to ask for help from a poor person. The equivalent that I came up with was, it's like God says to you, I want you to, sell your, I want you to leave your house, I want you to go to Brisbane, and I want you to rely on a homeless person. They don't have a lot to supply you with, but I have commanded the homeless person to look after you. It's that level of, this is demanding. This is scary. Yeah, yeah, God can do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait till he asks you. And then you've got to do it. 
and I've told you this story before, and many of you have had this uh, experience as well, and it's just the same thing over and over. Our Heavenly Father loves us and care for it, cares for us. One night, uh, Corrie Ten Boom was lying in bed, and she talks about how all the dust would filter down from the mattress above her where Betsy was lying, and she was trying to figure out, she said, I think I've got it. Only a molecule of oil comes out of the brown jar and when it hits the air, it expands. That's what's happening. To which Betsy laughed and said, don't try and figure out how it happens. Just accept it as love from your, from your heavenly father, demonstrating he loves you each day. So too for us. When we went to theological college, Rhonda and I, we had a house in Campbelltown, which the Lord told us to sell, which we did, that left us with a profit of $16,000, which is not a lot of money. But back in the 1980s, that was about $1.5 million. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was enough. We sort of figured out our finances and our incomes and what would be happening, and we had our bills would be $120 a week. We had enough for $100 a week without tapping into the 16,000. So I sort of figured, well, we could tap into the 16,000, that get us through. $100 a week, every week. And if not every week, then on some weeks it'd be double. Somebody in the church where I went to preach, whether it was the church I was based at or I did a lot of preaching around churches back then in the 1982, 83, then someone would come up to me, a little old lady, a man, a young couple, they'd give me an envelope. Thank you for preaching today. Really enjoyed it. This is for you. God wants me to give you this. What was in it? $20. Not $100. Could have been God, $100. $20. Why didn't he give me $100? Trust me for this week. Trust me for this week. We get to the end of our theological year, the first year, then we get appointed to our first church and so we would have a steady income. Guess how much money we had in the bank? $16,000. We never once tapped into the savings. God provided for us. What was God teaching us? You can trust me and you can't outgive me. That's what God's teaching Elijah. That's what God's teaching the widow. That's what God's trying to teach us. We need to rely on him. He's a remarkable God. He's stretching Elijah. He had to go to a Gentile. He had to go and ask for a poor person to support him. He had to go and ask a woman. I'm not being sexist or being rude. He had to ask a woman to depend on her. And particularly back in his culture, to be even more. Normally, it's the man who provides, isn't it? And of course, we are aware in our society that it's we're equal. Rhonda did more providing in our family than I did, particularly financially. So it's even Stevens. But for him in that time, that would have been a tough call. It was not just to a woman, it was to a widow. It was to a defenceless woman. Imagine the gossip in Zarephath when this man moves into the house of the widow. She's got a two-story house on the coast. Got a nice house, but nothing else. Imagine the gossip in town. And finally, he had to accept charity. He had to live off the widow. God could have done it without the widow, but God did it with the widow. Souls two birds with one stone. That doesn't quite work, that saying, but anyway. 
God was stretching Elijah, God was growing her, and it was done all according to the word of the Lord as God had spoken it to Elijah. Hmm. So what do we learn from that? What do we learn about God from this passage? What well, is the true and living God? That God knows where you are. You knew where Elijah was by the brook. He knows where you're going. He knows what's coming. And he wants you to walk with him day by day. He wants you to trust him. He's your loving Heavenly Father who cares about you and who watches over you. We also learn this, that God's provisions are often just enough. And either way, don't forget to thank him. And I guess one of the consistent things out of both of these stories is this, that God's promises of provision are linked often in scripture, hinged with God's commands or instructions. Do this and I'll do that. Arise, go to Zarephath, stay there. And I have commanded a woman to provide, a widow woman to provide for you. So he arose and he went and he stayed. And the flour didn't run out and the oil didn't run out. The provision is linked to the obedience. Time's gone, but be very careful of those little things you can buy in Christian bookshops, whether it's a book or it's a little box of, you know, promise boxes. You can pull out just a promise of God's word. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? It's linked with go into all the world and make disciples, baptise them and teach them to obey everything. If you're doing that, I am with you always to the end of the age. Don't take the promises without fulfilling the commands. God is a God who keeps his word and he expects us to do the same. Okay, boys and girls, you've got a colouring in thing to do and you've got crossword puzzles to complete and anybody who gets it correct, Pastor Trace is going to give you $20. (laughs) She will have to trust God for that. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a simple story. It's a wonderful story of how you're involved in our world, how you notice us. You know where we are. You know what's going on. You know what we need. And by moving one of us, you can not only grow us and work on us, but you can achieve your purposes and work in somebody else and save them and provide for them. You're incredible, Lord, how you can work in our world. You are marvellous and deserving of all praise and certainly commitment and trust. So, Heavenly Father, help us to trust you this week, to provide for, uh, to bring our request to you and for you to provide and for us to thank you for it. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said...